Nelly Bowles and Kevin Roos, two technology reporters for the New York Times, came to Manny's to talk about phone addiction, which is basically fucking everything up, including my life. I don't know about you, but I feel like I can't get away from my phone and I really hate it and I feel like I have no control. And so that's why they came to help us as a community talk about how we can all get our control back, get our lives back, start playing Pogs again, and basically, you know, yeah, that's it. By coming here tonight, you are supporting a nonprofit restaurant a political bookshop, and a physical civic gathering space in modern-day San Francisco. So thank you for letting us buck the fucking trend, do something different, and with that, I'm going to give it off to Nelly and Kevin. Manny, thank you for building this. Thank you for making this for all of us, because it's so special and so rare in this city. It's... So hi. This is more people than I thought. I know, right? Where, how'd you guys hear about this? Um, so I'm Nellie. I cover tech and culture for The Times. Um, I've been writing about phone addiction issues and parenting and health a bit for the last year and a half. Um, and I'm this Kevin. is Kevin Roos. Uh, I'm a tech columnist for The Times, and uh, I am a phone addict. <laughs> um, this is my uh, sobriety chip here, this uh, yellow band around my phone. We can talk about that later. But um, as, uh, as Manny mentioned, I did... Uh, spent some time examining my own phone habits earlier this year and was kind of horrified by, by what I found. It was disgusting. It was yeah, it was really atrocious. Um, so I thought that tonight could be kind of casual and fun because I feel like we both have stories. Kevin's written that story, and I want to ask all about sort of what he learned and what he went through and how he freed himself from this thing that I'm still not freed from. And and then I also want to hear about like people here and what you guys are feeling and when you felt you had a problem and things that have worked for you. So uh, I'll just kind of throw it to the audience at different points. Think of little things that you might want to bring up. Um, but yeah, Kevin, start. tell me when you felt like this was a problem, when you wanted to do something about this and why. Because you were you're writing tech columns, you're just a nor- like, and all of a sudden you had this. Yeah, I, it, was, it was last, it was, it was 2017. I remember exactly where I was. I was at the um, Alvin Ailey Dance Theater in New York with my spouse, who I think is here. Hi. Um, So she remembers this too, Um, probably a little bit differently, because I remember being at this amazing world-class dance performance, and in the middle of Act One, I thought to myself, I wonder how that tweet I posted right before the show is doing. Like, I wonder if anyone cool retweeted me. And so I lied to my spouse. I'm sorry. I said I had to go to the bathroom. I snuck out of the middle of the dance performance. I went to the bathroom. I did not have to go to the bathroom. Um, and I remember standing there in the bathroom at Alvin Ailey, these like tickets that I had you know, bought months before, paid lots of money for, and I'm sitting there like fully clothed in the bathroom looking at my phone and just being like, oh, I have a problem. Like, this is not good. Um, and on the way home, on the subway home that night, I remembered that a woman had uh, emailed me months before. She was a professional phone coach, um, and she helped people. She had written a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone, and she was sort of she had offered to lead me through a 30-day detox program. 
And I remembered her, uh, Catherine Price, and I emailed her and I said, I will take you up on that. <laughs> so uh, last year, or I guess early this year, um, we did a 30-day program, and I went through her whole program. She guided me through each step. Um, it took the full 30 days, and by the end of it, I was a changed man. I want to ask if it's stuck, but actually, I want to know, um, what was the hardest moment of, what was the thing that you thought you were going to miss the most? What was the hardest thing that you were worried about missing? Well, I think like we're journalists and we're, we, we're journalists because we like being plugged in to like what's going on. And so I remember feeling a lot of like anxiety around, well, if I don't look at my phone, how will I know like what is happening in DC or what is happening, you know, with impeachment or, I mean, it wasn't impeachment at that point, but it was like that, the sort of, I remember it was, it was right around, what was it, what was happening at the moment? Someone had just announced they were getting divorced or something, but it was like, it was like some stupid celebrity. Oh, it was Jeff Bezos getting divorced. And I was obsessed <laughs> with the Jeff Bezos divorce story. And I was like, well, if I log off, if I don't have my phone, how will I know what is happening with Jeff Bezos's divorce? Uh, which obviously sounds insane when you say it out loud, but um, but in the moment felt very pressing. Um, There's a way in which, like, I find the same thing. Like, I we lie to ourselves that we need to be so plugged in, and like we're reporters, so we can very effectively lie to ourselves and say we need to be really plugged in. We need to know every nuance of Jeff Bezos's uh, divorce proceedings, but but we actually don't. Like, even for our jobs, we don't. Right, right. I've been very inspired uh, by. One of our colleagues, uh, Jim Stewart, James B. Stewart, is a legendary business writer at the New York Times, a great guy, and uh, you know has won all the awards and you know published these best-selling books. And he gets all his news from the newspaper, like once a day he reads the newspaper, and so his knowledge is very, very complete. But it's always like twelve hours out of date. <laughs> like if you ask him what happened that morning, he's like. Don't know. I'll know about it tomorrow. Um, like, like over breakfast, he sits there. And I, I think so. And it's I, I've always been inspired wow. by that because he's a very plugged in, very smart, uh, very successful guy, and he reads the news once a day. Wow. I want to watch like a live stream of him doing. We that. should give him a, twi a Twitch channel. And <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> sounds like stream. soothing. That sounds like ASMR. Like so I, just, he has like, a great voice too. He could read, read the paper on Twitch. That, Business idea. <laughs> that I you make a lot of money. I want to know. Let's see if this works to just throw to the audience a little bit. You guys in the front, give me the moment when you realized you had a problem. Like, what was the moment? My eyesight has gotten worse faster in the past two years. The doctor told me that. <laughs> Medical intervention. Uh, for me, probably, probably noticing that I automatically navigate to an app or open an app and not even see myself do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think just finding myself checking any app, even when I know there's nothing there and nothing I'm interested in, was just like a reflex, like I'm not okay just, you know, riding the bus and just sitting there. For me, it's when I'm on Reddit and I get bored with what I see, so I reload and go to reload Reddit, and I end up on the same page. It's very disorienting. <laughs> no. 
I, I don't think I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> we found the one person. The one I, person I, in San I Francisco. I turn off all notifications and I look at my phone maybe once every three hours. What are you doing here? Not all heroes wear caves. Yeah. <laughs> so well, th this is interesting because I, the first step in my detox program was kind of self-diagnosis. The first step is admitting you have a problem, right? So Catherine, my phone coach, she asked me like how often I thought I checked my phone mm. and how much time I thought I spent on my phone every day. And then she had me look it up. On your iPhone, you can look up. So let's do this exercise now. This will be fun. So everyone, I'm not everyone, doing this. everyone I'm not just doing this think to yourself, uh, ask yourself two questions. One, how, how much time do I spend on my phone every day on average? And how many times a day do I pick up my phone on average? And just have those numbers in your brain. And then go, if you have an iPhone, if you have an Android, I think you can do this too, but I don't know what it's called. Go on your iPhone. And go to the settings menu. And if you've updated your iOS in the last two years or so, you should see a thing that says screen time. Hit that. And then go to see all activity. And you'll see your daily average. And then if you scroll way down, you'll see your pickups, your daily average pickups. Oh. And I want to know who has... Who wins the prize for the most screen time? Does anyone have more than four hours a day average on their screen? Be honest. This is all, we're, all, we're all friends here. Anyone have more than four hours a day average on their screen? Yeah, more than, yeah. Manny? Yeah, more than five. More than six. More than seven. More than eight. More you win? Than eight? More than eight? Eight and a half. We have a winner. And how? How? Who has pickups? How many uh, people have pickups over a hundred a day? You scroll, you scroll down you scroll a little bit, and I'll say your pickups. So, in the spirit of radical transparency, I'm at uh, two hours and fifty-seven minutes today, and seventy-four pickups. So, not a good day for me. Seventy-four. So, so before I started this, this detox, and now you can put your phones away, thanks. Um, <laughs> so before I started my detox, I was at about five and a half hours a day on my phone and about 110 pickups a day, um, which is actually not that far. It, it's above average for Americans, but if you look at 18 to 24, it's actually right about the middle of the bell curve, which is horrifying because I thought I was like a 99th percentile person. Um, but I'm I'm solidly in the middle somewhere. What are, how are you doing, Bowles? Yeah, it's like too shameful. I don't want to. I, I can't. <laughs> this week is, this is really this week is really bad. It's I usually average. I I tried really hard to detox, and I'm constantly doing different efforts. I'm like on crash diets with my phone usage. Um, but right now I'm back. I'm sort of in a binging time, so I'm in like the eight hour right now. I know, guys. That's okay. We're all, this is a safe I, space. It's, um, it's not good. But what I, hear, what, what I do that's so bad, and I think a lot of people probably do this, is I have my phone open while I'm also at my computer. So I'm like dual screening for no reason. Yeah. Like, I'm not like a stock trader. Like I don't need, <laughs> I don't need like a lot of screen or well, a lot and of. And you're walking while you're doing all this because oh, Nelly like, has a treadmill desk. No, it's insane. So, yeah, you're you're really like mainlining just all yeah. the activities at once. I I think I sometimes use it like I use my phone or I use sort of information online like a fire hose to 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 just sort of like 
flood my brain. And I just, you can turn it on and it's just like infinite information that you can consume and it's so fun and it's fascinating. It's like, it doesn't even matter if it's Instagram or if it's news or if it's anything, it's just information. And yep. it it like is such a pleasure for me and such a, um, just, and but but then it, consumes me and scrambles me. And, right. Well, and as and we've heard, like, it, it means that you never have to be alone with your thoughts. Um, well, they've actually, the there's been some interesting research. Um, there, there was a study done a few years ago where they, the researchers put test subjects in a room and had them sit for 15 minutes um, with nothing on the table in front of them, no phones, no anything, except for a, a, a button. And if you push the button, it would give you an electric shock. Um, and there was no, like, there was no pressure to give yourself an electric shock. They didn't say like, you, you'll get done early if you get an electric shock. It was li literally just, your job is to sit here for 15 minutes in silence, not doing anything. And more than half the people pressed the electric shock people button. People would rather they feel They would pain. rather feel pain than be alone with their thoughts. I would rather read crazy Trump news in DC than be alone. That's the electric with, shock button that's that That's my you're electric shock. It's, so, it's, it's rushing. So back to solutions. So when I got yeah, my, because yeah, so I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to share the wisdom here from Catherine Price. So the first thing she had me do after my diagnosis was to put a rubber band around my phone. And I asked her why, like, is this because it, you know, will make it non-functional or something? And she says, no, it's just, it's just to make you aware of, to make you mindful of when you're reaching for your phone. It's like a little speed bump for your fingers and it makes it sort of annoying to, to use. And I put it on and I started recognizing all of the weird habits mm. I developed. Like, like the, the weirdest one I found was that every time I put my, credit card in a credit card reader, like in the chip, you know how it takes like three or four seconds to, to register? I would always take my phone out during those three to four seconds. Like, what the hell? Was I gonna like tweet? Was I gonna like do the like, like quick draw tweeting? Like there was no reason. It was just purely because I was bored and I was, I was like, how can I pass this four second interminable delay? I guess I'll look at my phone. So it just, it made me mindful of all the little sort of tics I developed and the, and the responses because her philosophy, and I think mine now, is that it's fine if you want to be on Twitter all day. Like, if you want to do what you're doing on your phone all day, that's, that's up to you, but it should be a conscious choice. Like, you should be saying, I want to go on Instagram. I want to check the news. I want to check my email. I don't think a lot of us wake up every day and say, like, say to ourselves, like, I would really like to go down an hour and a half long YouTube hole today. Um, that's how I would like to spend my free time. Um, and so as long as we're... At, so the, the program was not about sort of getting me off my phone entirely. It was just about making it my choice again, mm. like when and how I used my phone and putting, putting myself back in the driver's seat. And so there were lots of tactics that, you know, she had me try. I was supposed to lock up my phone at night in a safe uh, so that I couldn't like Like very Ariana Huffington, put it in a little bed. Yeah, yeah. So mine was like, a, mine was a prison. Um, <laughs> and I still have that. I used it the other week. In fact, when I was on, on deadline, I, I locked my phone in my, my safe. Um, and, you know, lots of apps, you know, you're supposed to clean your, your sort of app life. You're supposed to condo your apps and put the ones that are good for you on the home screen and put all the bad ones for you, either delete them or put them deep in a folder on the third screen so it takes a little more time to get to. 
Um, and then it's just about rebuilding your attention span because I think for me, you know, I stopped reading books. I couldn't really watch movies anymore because they were too slow. Um, I couldn't really pay attention during long conversations, uh, as as my spouse will attest. Like I was not. I was a. I was a pretty sort of manic, hyperattentive person. And part of what I had to do was just train myself to sit there and do something hard without sort of reaching for the easy escape hatch of my phone. So I don't know. Do you feel like you your attention span is? Because I I struggle it's, with this constantly. It's like scrambled eggs. Yeah, it's like totally. My attention span has like when I think about what I could do even in high school and how long I could sit and study something or how long I could versus now, it's scary. Like I find it really scary. Well, and I think the people yeah. who have attention spans, like to me, have a kind of superpower. Yeah. Like I I really really admire people who who can sit there with no interruption and read a 300-page book. Like, that to me is, like, like a, a superpower. And I, I will get there. And I, 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 in fact, like, have gotten much better at that. I can read books again, sort of. Um, I just convince myself they're, like, really long tweets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but during your process of doing this, you had different observations about the world and, and different sort of feelings internally. It wasn't easy for you to do this. No, it sucked. Tell me about, um, tell me about how it felt those first few days when you were really like. At one point, you went you went on a retreat, or you took yourself to a, a hotel without your phone for a weekend. Yeah, this is the the last part of it. Uh, near the end of the thirty days was called the trial separation when you're supposed to go. It's like <laughs> conscious uncoupling from your phone. So you're supposed to go, you know, forty eight hours without using your phone at all. And I, I did that. We went up to the Catskills and rented an Airbnb and had a wonderful weekend. And and it was, it was strange. Like one one sort of beneficial effect of this detox um, was that I felt better about my life outside my phone and, and I, you know, had better conversations and I was more present and more, had more of an attention span and, and, you know, had more time to think and have original thoughts. I also liked my phone more at the end of it, which I didn't expect because I think, you know, if you remember when you, when I first got my smart, my first smartphone, I remember I was in college, it was a Blackberry and I was, it, it blew my fucking mind. I was like, this thing is amazing. Like I can play Brick breaker, I can check my email, I can probably text someone if I have 10 minutes to type out a text. Like, like it was an amazing invention. And I think for a lot of us, that wonder and that amazement is just totally gone. Like, we have these things in our pockets that can connect us to literally anything or anyone in the world, um, and we just hate them. <laughs> so it really, it, it sort of rebuilt my appreciation for my phone. And for that alone, like, I think it's worth trying stuff like this because it's, it's a real shame that we have spent, you know, so much time on these devices that if put to their proper use can be amazing for us, um, amazing for helping us discover new things, connect with people. Um, and we use them for the most asinine stuff. In a way, sometimes I worry that our culture has already gone too far, that it's impossible to go back to a time. Like, one thing you mentioned in in your story and that I've noticed is in the world when you don't have your phone, you start to realize, first of all, how many people are on their phones around you. But 
Also, I've realized that you start to look weird or seem weird if you're not, like seem sort of suspicious <laughs> if you're not on your phone. Yeah. So like if I'm in line and I'm not on my phone or if I'm in like a social setting and or like a public space and I'm like just standing there looking around, <laughs> it's like weird. There was a good like, there was a tweet doing? the other day that was like I'm I'm watching a guy in Starbucks. He's sitting there drinking his coffee. Not on his phone, and like a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> and I find that. So when I try, then I'm like, do people think I'm going to like, yes, rob them Yes, they think you're going to murder them. Like, yeah. is that... <laughs> but you ha- which is why you know, we have to collectively retrain ourselves to think that it's okay not to be on your phone. But it is like, like and Catherine warned me about this before my detox. She said, this is going to be like seeing your parents have sex. Like, you can never unsee it. (laughs) Once you start seeing the people on their phones in the elevator who can't look away, who can't be alone with their thoughts, it's like you'd see zombies everywhere. And uh, and that's true, I think. I I think I do feel that way now, but I also have a lot of sympathy because that was me and to an extent still is me. Yeah. One thing that a lot of this, um, a thread that follows a lot of this in both of our reporting is the idea of bringing back friction. Like the idea of like making the phone a little harder. This is like the rubber band. And like so much of the work that people are doing here, probably people in this room are doing, is about reducing friction, making things easier, making things like faster. And and the idea, talk a little bit about, you wrote a story, you wrote a column that was like bring back friction, basically like a sort of call for this. Um, talk a little bit about that. Explain that idea. Well, yeah, there's this idea of, of frictionless design, and this has been a, a sort of core tenet of the tech industry for many years. Um, you know, we want things to behave seamlessly, and, and we want to, you know, tap a button and have our car arrive or our food arrive or, you know, be, you know, have our shortcut open. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways that is good. We don't want to waste time doing unnecessary interactions with our phone. But frictionless design is also a way to kind of structure our choices for us. Um, you know, saying something is frictionless means like, here, I'm, I'm like giving you this very easy path. Maybe that's not the path I want to go down, but you've made it easy, so I'll go down there. And if you think about just the concept of friction, like friction is what is required for movement. Friction, like the, the most rewarding things in our lives involve friction. They're hard. Mm. They involve effort and swimming upstream and going against the grain. And I don't think... I think frictionless design is, is sort of something that we were told was good for us and that we would appreciate, but we never stop to think like, do, do, are there any ways in which friction is helpful for us? Mm. So I think that's part of this whole uh, you know, trip that I've been on is like trying to figure out what role friction plays. Um, and right now I'm, I'm working on a book uh, and, and I've been doing a lot of research around the sort of studies of phones and psychology, and I know we have people in the room tonight who have, who've done some of this work too, but I've, I've been interested to see that the research shows that it's not just like, like obviously, you know, stress hormones and anxiety and depression are all linked to excessive smartphone use, but aside from health, like, there are studies that have shown that excessive smartphone youth use is actually bad for our, like, emotional intelligence mm. and are relating to other people. There was this amazing study a few years ago um, where they, they took two groups of sixth graders um, and they, they, spent, they sent one on a nature trip in the wilderness for five days without their phones and they kept the other one 
at, in school like regular with their phones. And before and after, they administered a battery of, of tests about emotional intelligence. So, you know, identify what this person is feeling based on their facial expression or, you know, characterize an interaction that you see on a video between two people. And the group, that, the control group, stayed pretty flat from, from before and after. But the group that went to the wilderness for five days like, radically improved their scores. Like, they got way more emotionally intelligent after five days without their phones. Mm -hmm. And, like, that to me is, is striking because that's, not, like, that's not just about your health. That's about your sort of entire way of existing in the world and having relationships. And that's, that, like, to me is actually kind of scarier than the, than the kind of short-term anxiety piece of it. So I don't know, do you, like, in your, because you've also written a lot about phones and, and kids um, and the sort of screen time debate, and, like, wh how has your thinking on this evolved uh, as you've been covering it? Um, I think the thing that I keep coming back to is the class divide in this in a lot of ways. Like, I, I wrote a story called Human Contact is a Luxury Good, and about kind of how um, the wealthy can afford to have more human experiences and can pay for a person to do a thing. Whereas, the and I was kind of inspired by this because in, um, I think it was Fresno, a doctor on an iPad rolled into a, a, a room and told a patient that he was going to die. Um, and just the idea of like an iPad doctor, whereas... I know I wouldn't have an iPad doctor. And, like, the idea that uh, everything that's done by a human can be done cheaper by a human on a screen. And so we're going to see that everywhere, in every part of life. And so I keep thinking about that and thinking about sort of, like, um, the privilege of human contact. And, the, and, and then it makes me, like, look around and I see... Uh, people using iPads as nannies or things like this. Like I've, I've been writing a lot about people using iPads as nannies or people using, um, you know, poor rural public schools have more um, e-learning software that they're using rather than, of course, everyone in Palo Alto wants to go to the Waldorf school. So kind of um, just what that's going to look like in 10 years, what impact that's going to have. Like you talk about the social, emotional impact it has on a kid or on a person. Uh, what does that look like in 10 years if you've been going to class and it's a computer and you go home and your, your babysitter's a computer and, and, and versus someone who hasn't had that? So I, I, yeah, it worries and, me about what that looks like uh, as the class divide grows. Well, it seems like people are sort of... I'm, I'm actually kind of more optimistic about this than I was, I think, earlier this year when I, um, you know, when I wrote this story. And, I, and in part of that's because I see a lot of the people in my life, my friends, my, like my, my colleagues, like I see people sort of struggling with this and like concocting their own kind of like resistance, you know, mm -hmm. movements. So people, you know, we were... Uh, my, my wife and I took a pottery class as part of my, my detox. It was like one of Catherine's recommendations was like, was like, do something with your hands that is not your phone. Because if you're doing pottery, your hands are really dirty. You can't pick up your phone. It's like a forced break. Mm. Um, and yep. like it was in New York. We were living in New York at the time. And, you know, we started, I started talking to people in the class and they were like, oh, why did you decide to take pottery classes? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm detoxing from my phone. And they were like, me too. Like, <laughs> it was, the, it's like this whole movement that is, is starting to sort of 
people sort of figuring out what will get them the yes, experience of being away from their phone. We're doing that in San Francisco and New York. Correct. Where you have the most sophisticated, powerful companies in the world telling people around the country that these things that they're selling them, uh, Google and Apple, that they're selling them are good, are healthy, are better than than other things, and better than a traditional classroom, better than... But, and so, whereas um, I think that we're seeing a backlash here in our little ecosystems, I don't know if in the broader country we're seeing a full like screen time backlash. It's kind of like whenever we talk about like, oh, the news cycle around Facebook has been so bad, but then you actually look and like Facebook's gaining users in the, you know, it. it's right. interesting I, I to figure out to how the... much this actually impacts sort of. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's, you're right that there's a class element too. I compare this to like the slow food movement where, mm -hmm. you know, now people who can afford to eat healthy, eat healthy and locally grown produce and farm to table stuff and people who can't eat whatever they can get at their local markets, which a lot of the times is not healthy. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there is a, a sort of class element here that worries me, but I, I didn't hear anyone talking about this like three, four years ago. Totally. Like maybe, you know, Tristan Harris or something like that, but like, like not, it was not a mainstream conversation yet. Uh, I think a lot of people were still in kind of the honeymoon phase with their devices. And actually the, the interesting thing I've, I've, I've been talking about this stuff uh, with a number of sort of different age groups recently. And high school kids are actually fascinating because you think like, we think, that they're the ones on their phones all the time. And they are, like there's a lot of phone use among people who are young. But when I go to like multi-generational gatherings, you know, big dinners where there are some teenagers and some older people, it's not the teens with their phones the on the table. It's boomers. It's the boomers. Um, and this is what I, I have been fascinated by is that I think the people who have grown up with phones have developed a kind of like resistance or like sort of, they, they understand how to compartmentalize better. But people like, you know, people who are our parents' age um, and maybe got their smart, first smartphone like a few stuff. years ago, um, like they're jacked in. Like they're, they're, they're there, um, you know, probably their screen. I would be fascinated to see how the screen time statistics by age cohorts like, change over mm. the years. I imagine that it'll start to kind of level. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's a lot. It's like the fake news stuff. Like, fake news was being spread not by teenagers, but by boomers. Or, sorry, we don't need we to. We love boomers. We don't need to, okay, boomer right. everything. Yes. Um, okay, I want to know from a few people here what interventions have worked for them. Like, what have you done that worked, even even briefly, even even for a couple days? Like, And I'm going to give you the mic because oh, yeah, for yeah. our podcast, it's gonna, we want to enter into the record. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, no, you choose them, and I'll just give them the mic. Yeah. I think the only thing that's worked is uh, getting friends and coworkers to um, put the screen time password on my phone and not, um, not getting the password until I like, ask for it from them. That's that like is the only very that's intense. Okay. I do a very similar version of that. Uh, yeah. I think that's forced accountability is good. And I like that they used to call this stuff parental control software, and now it's screen time. It's acknowledging it. I love that. Can you, anyone behind any you guys? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I keep my phone on silent all the time. 
and I've gotten rid of any games that have any like time requirements. Like any games that I play, I need to be able to immediately turn off. Yeah. You just pass it around. My way was a little unconventional. It's sort of like I I binge, but then I binge too far, and then I need to just detox (laughs) for for a while. Like recently, I got TikTok, and TikTok was too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, TikTok is 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 meth. TikTok is meth. (laughs) I knew I knew when I was sleep deprived that I just needed to cool down. Um, what I've done in the past is delete apps, mostly like social media apps, and then I'll like see that I have that impulse with my finger, and then I'll be like really horrified, and then that is enough. And then also I don't have any notifications, so then that so you have like a phantom Instagram finger yeah. just looking. Yeah, and then I would yeah, I'd be like where my finger's like looking for something. What am I looking for? And then I'm like, wow, this is oh, that's scary. This is when you have a problem, you know. <laughs> Anyone else back there? Just keep. So I actually solved my phantom Instagram limb with um, switching my bank app and my Instagram app. And I kept on click- clicking on the bank app, which was really depressing. And so that cured me of my Instagram phantom That's limb. insane. You're like, but now my 401k is optimally balanced. Yeah. You're addicted to like stock checking. I think one of the most fascinating things that I try to do is when I read a book, I put my phone across the room. And then I notice how many times my brain like goes to be like, where's your phone? Where's your phone? And then I realize like, oh, you really have a problem. Like keep oh. your phone across the room. It's like a nice psychological test to realize your problem. Like a self-torture, yeah. self-punishment. Totally. Yeah, that's weird. The only thing that's worked for me is I lost my phone and decided to wait for the next release, which was two months of just no phone. What kind of job do you work? At tech, but no, that was a couple of years ago. But it was, I just relied a lot on, I had to plan things in advance and say, for like 34 and 30 seconds, you're at that corner or I will, I will wait for 10 minutes or <laughs> see ya. It was weird. Like a Neanderthal. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> and, and obviously two months afterwards, I was back on it. Phantom limbs, everything. But for two months, it was good. No, but this is actually, the planning thing is... Uh, I find that we all need so many updates for a simple plan like dinner. Like, I have to text my friend like five times that day to confirm the dinner's happening. Text him on my way, text him. And if I didn't do that, it'd be like, that's weird. Are you okay? Is everything like, if I was just like Tuesday, 7 p.m., that wouldn't work. And maybe if, if we could have like a culture shift of Tuesday, 7 p.m., that being enough, it might be good. I don't know. Um, okay, um, yeah, just pass it around. It's kind of, is this fun? Is this boring? You like this? Okay, good, because I like this. So a couple of years ago, I went home to visit my parents, um, and I got a flip phone uh, just because I knew that I was going to be for a short amount of time, and it was like $20 at the Verizon store. Um, And what was most interesting, I think, was that uh, like because I was in a familiar place, I'd say what I relied most on on my phone was like Google Maps. Mm. Um, and so if I, like I just moved to Oakland and the idea of not having a smartphone and going back to a flip phone is terrifying because I just wouldn't know where to go. 
Um, but I've definitely become like reliant on going places because of my phone. Yeah. I have no longer any internal map. Like I walk out of my apartment and I don't know left from right, north to south. I get lost walking out of a coffee shop. Someone needs to walk me home after this. Hi. Um, If I'm going to be out for like two hours or under, um, I'll leave my phone at home. Um, And because I have the same thing where I'll be in line with like a credit card, insert chip, check phone. Why check phone? This makes no sense. Um, and so if I'm going to like r- just run an errand or two, I'll leave my phone at home. You can text me the next time you put your f- credit card. We can like have a little fast texting Perfect. contest back and forth. <laughs> Hi. Cool. Great. Yeah. Bye. Maybe, maybe one more. Yeah. Uh, I banned my phone from my bedroom, which has been awesome. I charge it in the kitchen. So it's not like the first thing that I wake up to in the morning and then like the first thing that I... Or last yeah. thing I see at night. This is a, a huge yeah. benefit to. I forgot to mention this, but this is this was one of the tips that I got from my phone coach. Was like, do not have your phone in your bedroom. Like whatever you do, keep it outside your bedroom. Get an alarm clock. You know, like a like like you know. I, I have now this amazing alarm clock that I use every day. Don't use my phone in my you know in my bedroom at night, and uh, it makes all the difference because the second you check it, you're up. Like, you're not going back to sleep. It's, this is honestly also like a sex tip. Like, you will have more sex if your smartphone isn't in your bedroom. Manny's like, after dark. <laughs> can, I, uh, can I actually share you with you mine? Because I feel like this yes, is my please. moment to just lay it <laughs> Manny, on the on, table. In. Get in here. I have a grayscale on my phone. I, I'm not, I have screen time on so that I can't look at my apps, any apps other than, like, texting before 8 o'clock or after 9 o'clock. I have no notifications. I have deleted all social media apps, so if I want to go on Facebook, I have to go on Safari and check it. (laughs) And and I have structured the electricity in my room, like where all the chargers are, so that I can't reach my phone from my bed. And I still check it 183 times a day for five hours. So... I, I'm, it's hard. I'm just gonna. It, no, it's hard. It is a constant. No. Manny, it's okay. You're welcome here. It's okay. It's, it's a okay. constant struggle. I honestly, I feel like I'm in the period of sort of like binge, <laughs> of binge dieting, where I'll go a week at roost levels, and then I'll go a week where I'm back in, I'm back in the binge, and it's really hard. We are up against the most sophisticated companies in the entire world in history. The with the most money, and they're sending everything they can to get our eyes and to get our attention on them. And it's G- a really hard battle. Totally. I mean, you're, you're so right. Like, on the other side of the screen, every time you reach for your phone, like, just imagine, you know, an army of 100 the smartest PhDs, MIT kids. You know, engineering me, ways yeah. to make you, not you know, have tap sex. your phone. To make you not have sex. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what... Do you have any hope? Because there's been this sort of enlightened tech movement, you know, led by people who want to, you know, the time well spent thing or people who want to sort of have these companies re-engineer some of their products to, you know, set time limits or make them less addictive. Like, do you have any hope that the, like, the market can solve this? Oh, that the market can solve this? No. No, 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 Kevin. That was a setup. I I don't either. (laughs) No, I think we could have like a culture shift that works to solve this in the same way that like the market is not going to solve fast food. The market wants you to eat 
shitty food that's bad for you. Like, it's it's going to have to take us pushing back against it. Um, yeah, no. Maybe regulation. I mean, like, I'm thinking about, to use your fast food analogy, like, putting the calorie counts on the menu Yeah, probably doesn't change anyone's decisions, but it makes you feel a little bit worse when you get the Big Mac. I don't know. I, I think regulation, I think culture, I think like, when people first got TVs, they would put them on the kitchen table, on the, on the dining room table while they had dinner. And then we de- slowly, over a generation, we developed manners around it. We, we learned how to live with the TV and maybe you hide it behind something. I don't know. You, you don't, we haven't developed manners around these things. It's all so new. Like even think about you in, in college versus now is what we're talking about. Like I think eventually we'll develop a culture around how to interact with these things. And I am optimistic about that. Like I think manners will, will come of like when it's okay, when it's not, when you should be embarrassed to be looking at your phone because it's like too much. I, 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 we're, we're asking a lot of ourselves that, that we know how to perfectly interact with something that's brand new. Yeah, I keep it right under my butt. <laughs> that, that, uh, that's expecting a lot. And so I'm, I'm sort of optimistic that eventually we will figure out rules and social mores to, to make it a little bit better. Or at least have like guidelines that you can follow if you're good. Because right now we don't even have those. We're all playing a guessing game on like, what's the best way to do this? Everyone's got different things. So well, I, I, I am optimistic, fundamentally. I think we, we sort of have a literature around, like, how to do this now, like, how to have a healthy relationship with your phone. It's just that it's, like, you're working against the system in some ways. Against um, the system, man. Revolution. But I, I do think that ultimately, like, the companies should have an incentive to fix this, like, a long-term incentive, because, like... Think about it. When you don't feel great about the apps that just pull you in and suck you in, like you might want them in the moment, but like over time, I don't know. Don't you start to sort of resent Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever? No, No, you're all in. (laughs) I, I I think that we can sort of pressure and and cajole these companies into helping us be our most enlightened selves because. I think they would rather have people f- have that sense of joy and wonder when they open the thing rather than being like, oh, this again. Like, you know, I got I got another notification, got to open it up. I mean, I, I think about how we at the New York Times, like, talk a lot about respecting people's attention because, yeah. you know, we can at any point we want, like, make a million phones light up with some breaking news alert. And frankly, you know, maybe we do it too much. Um, but... I know that there are a lot of people at the New York Times having conversations about, like, is this worthy of interrupting people? Because we know that as soon as we push that notification, you know, a million people are at dinner, and all of a sudden, they're not at dinner anymore. Mm. And that, that weighs on, you know, I'm not involved with that team, but I know that that, I've, I've talked to some of them, and I know but, that they consider that. Yes, but I'm not going to wait around for the Google or the Facebook worker to have like a moral awakening and they suddenly realize like, I, don't, you know I what? don't know that it's we a moral we should yeah. not get people hooked to YouTube you guys like stop watching videos I'm like right. that. I, I don't know that it's a moral thing I mean I'm, I hope it's a moral thing but I also think it's like a we don't want people to resent us for interrupting their their dinners we don't want people to resent us for taking you know their kids away from them for, from their family dinner or from you know making grandma you know uh, sit on the couch all day watching news alerts like I think it's um, 
in their long-term self-interest yeah. to to be more respectful of their users. But I'm I'm curious what if any sort of like how how do we solve this not just on an individual level but a collective level? Do people have ideas about regulation or um, I don't know new culture shifts or what, what like what can we do in the aggregate to solve this? And you have about two minutes. I know. To I was going to say we let's. I'm curious. Here, let's give it. Say it for the podcasters. Yeah. I think it's going to be young people, not us, because I mean they're leading the way on everything. And now there is. Um, I don't trust the companies to do it. Every single incentive is in the opposite direction. There's not really a great mechanism for regulating it. Um, but and I think it is a personal thing about mindfulness. And you gave me a slight glimmer of hope because I started to think about the cultural shift we had around smoking. And, you know, like, I came of age when we smoked, I personally smoked, like, in my office, you know, in elevators, on airplanes, in movie theaters, and now it's really different. And, And young people, I think, can lead the way with mindfulness about devices as well. And definitely adults use them more than kids. We just have to invent the jewel of phones. <laughs> no, no, please don't. No. We already, did. We already no. have bad idea. Sorry, Bruce. retract my idea. Bruce, your like solutions we... are worrying me. My friends, we've got time for one more solution, and then we got one more solution. Someone has to have a good solution. We need a. Okay, he's right here. He's right here. It's weird if I don't. So you mentioned uh, resentment, and if you find a way to measure that, and then you can show companies that resentment rises the more uh, use that they have of the app. Then. A resentment meter? Do you want one more? Sure, let's do one more. One, more. one last one. This man in the glasses looks very Clark Kenty. I know. Clark Kent, what's your solution? How are you going to save us? <laughs> what if you required opt in for any notification? You required a conscious uh, affirmation for any notification that goes on your phone. That'd be legislation, yeah. Yeah. That all notifications have to be opt-in. Yeah. Um, you just you guys, found your presidential platform. <laughs> you guys, this was wonderful. And I would want to stay here for another hour listening to all of your stories and, and solutions on this. Not yours so much on the solution. Jesus. <laughs> Jewel. Jewel. <laughs> um, Kevin, thank you for coming. Thank and you, Nelly. Sitting thank here. Thank you guys for coming. And thank you guys.